Good morning. Hey, for those of you who are new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor, and thank you so much for joining us at Redemption this morning. We are so honored and so glad to have you. And I want to tell you a little bit about how we ended up uh, here today and uh, what, what God has been doing, and, uh, and then explain uh, how it is that we're, we're blessed to have Eric here uh, with us this morning. A couple of months ago, I was, uh, we were in a series as a church, and the name of the series was Clear Truth for a Confused World. And uh, what we did is we just decided we're going to uh, start in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and just walk through the things that the enemy is so blatantly attacking and just point out how God has better truth than the world. The world doesn't have truth. It only has the lie. Uh, and so what we uh, started that series, and during that series, uh, I was introduced to a book. And so uh, I was uh, sitting on my couch in my office, and I was reading through this book, and uh, one of our elders' wives walked in, and she said, Stephen, I've got this book for you. You have to read it. And I said, well, what book is it? She said, Letter to the American Church. I flipped around the book I was literally reading on the couch and said, I'm already reading it. And as I was reading through the book, I could tell uh, that God is uh, using Eric to sound a message across our nation. And that is that the church has to wake up, that we have been given a mission and a mandate to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth, right? And uh, that the, the way we do that is by proclaiming truth, clear truth for a confused world to a world that needs it. And so we've been doing that for a couple um, years now as a church, and it's amazing. God just keeps sending uh, more people uh, because it seems like uh, people are hungry for truth. I know we are as a church, and so we love just opening up the Word of God and seeing what He wants to do. And uh, after I read the book and some other people in our church were reading the book, we were sitting in a staff meeting, and uh, I don't know how it happened, but somebody made the comment, wouldn't it be fun? If he, if he came and talked, and we kind of looked, and we said, I don't know if he'd ever come here. Why don't we reach out? And so we reached out, and guess what? He's here. So ladies and gentlemen, you guys can give a nice warm welcome to Eric Metaxas. Am I really here? I would never come to Monclova. Come on, I'm very busy. It's just not going to happen. Be realistic. I am honored to be here. You know, I am honored to be here, to be invited to be here. It's kind of, we're living in crazy times because I feel like, you know, churches that used to invite me to speak don't invite me anymore <laughs> because I've become very toxic. Um, and so the churches that do invite me, you know, not only do I appreciate it more, but I realize where God is moving. Uh, he's moving in those churches because you see the same story that I've been hearing in this church, other churches that have invited me, I hear the same story. Like we, we didn't shut down during COVID or we were brave at that time and, and uh, we, we speak out on these issues. We're not afraid to be political. We're not making an idol of politics, but we're, you know, we're talking about what people care about and like, you know, we lost some people, but we gained a million times more people and... I hear this story over and over and over again, because if you're being faithful now, God sees that, because people are hungry in this nation. People are hungry for truth. And, you know, a few years ago, you could kind of like play church. You know, you go to church, you have your nice church service, and you go home, and, you know, um, well, that's not really church. To be the church of God is to be separated unto him, to live your whole life unto him, and we've been getting away with, with really not doing that so much in the American church. 
Um, and, but it came to head for me and for so many of us, you know, during uh, COVID, and we saw things that we never dreamt we would see in America. And we we're kind of looking around for voices. Who's, de- who's addressing this, the madness? Who's, who's willing to call a spade a spade? Who's willing to boldly declare that a rooster cannot lay an egg? That's, uh, I don't mean to be divisive. Forgive me, forgive me. I need to repent of my divisiveness. That's not a gospel-related issue, Eric, whether roosters can lay eggs. Don't bring that up again. Um, (laughs) Truth is a gospel-related issue. And what we're seeing now, of course, part of what we're seeing is there are people, they're at war with God, and they're at war with that thing God created called reality and truth. It's kind of interesting because that's the, that's the way it is. The Lord created the universe. I wrote a book. I'd be happy to come back another time and preach a much more cheerful message on my book, Is Atheism Dead? That the evidence for God is just mind-blowing evidence from science. And when you start realizing, like, yeah, if I'm a Christian, I believe the Lord created the universe, and science can only point to him, not away from him, but we've been living with, with, with a lot of these false narratives in, in our whole lifetimes, right? In 1966, you know, Time Magazine puts a, uh, on the cover, you know, puts right in American living rooms this idea that had only been fashionable among the cultural elites, but now in 1966, they figured, we'll put this in America's living rooms, cover Time Magazine, is God dead, right? And the preposterous false notion that there is no God has had a lot of purchase uh, in our culture over the decades. And so if you really believe in Jesus, you, you realize you're living in a world that is crazy, basically, and they think you're crazy because you believe insane stuff, like there's a God and the Bible is true and Jesus rose from the dead, people don't rise from the dead, you know, you're crazy, right? Except we know that that's true. And in a, in a funny way, that narrative has carried on through the decades, right? This idea that God is not alive, that there is no God. And again, it's not true, but we live in a world that kind of acts like, well, yeah, it's true. All the smart people know that that's true, right? I went to Yale University, and I grew up in a working class home. My parents are European immigrants, but I had the privilege of going to Yale University, you know, kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like this is the American dream. And when I arrived there, I suddenly realized, huh, the cultural elites don't believe what I learned uh, in my humble home. You know, they, they're kind of selling this, like, anti-American, Marxist, lefty, secular view of things. But I was young enough that I didn't stand against that. I just kind of drifted along. I was like, oh, okay, this is what, you know, if you want to be successful and you want to be like the, the successful people, that you kind of, you know, so I drank that Kool-Aid enough to get totally lost. And by God's grace, I got so lost that I ended up moving back in with my parents, which you don't want to do. If, uh, if your parents are working-class European immigrants that didn't get to go to college, much less Yale, and that put you through Yale, and they didn't have food on the table when they were kids in Europe and stuff like that, you, you don't want to move back in with them, like, you know, after you graduate Yale, like, I, I don't know the meaning of life, I'm trying to be a writer. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> but the Lord, in, in his mercy, um, put me there, and... Uh, and in his mercy, he, he found me and spoke to me and uh, 
made me see that he is alive and he's real and he's true. And I was born again around my 25th birthday and it just changed everything. But the funny thing is, you know, when, when you're born again, when you accept Jesus and you expect truth of the Bible, again, you find yourself living in a crazy world. You say, I live in a world where all the people that I know, all my friends, all the elites, all the whatever, they act like, well, there's no God. Or, you know, all religions believe the same thing, like, which is so stupid. But, you know, really, really, really uh, educated people can be very stupid. Like, we, we know this, right? They believe, for example, that roosters could lay eggs, you know, and that uh, you shouldn't talk about it because it's divisive. Um, they, they don't, you know... They'll believe, I don't know who said it, but somebody said that sometimes it takes an intellectual to believe like something really stupid, you know, because you can be an ideologue. If, if, you're, if you're raising your kids, you're living a humble life, you're raising your kids, you're paying your bills and you, whatever, you're forced to deal with this thing called reality, right? So you're going to have a level of common sense because you're dealing with reality. But, you know, if you can be in the university or if you can be uh, in government or in some ideological bubble, you can kind of believe anything, and all the people around you believe it, right? And so that, that's what we have you know, in newsrooms across America, uh, in, in now increasingly in corporations. Madness has kind of taken over through the decades. And so if you actually work out, okay, so what does it mean if we don't believe in God? What does that lead to in every other thing? It's kind of fascinating, right? In other words, if you don't believe in God, you believe that we kind of emerged out of the primordial soup. There's no life, and then, bing, there's life. You know, science teaches us that we had no life, and then, bing, there's life. And you say, well, okay, how did that happen? They're going to they're gonna blow a lot of smoke because they know that they don't know how that happened. But they don't want you to know that they don't know how that happened, right? So whether you're talking about the origin of life or you're talking about anything that the more time passes, the more the divide between those who believe in the truth of God and the Bible uh, increases between those who don't believe in, in that. And we are now living in a world where we, we're seeing the final fruit, right? That, that we're, we're seeing madness unfurled across the land so that you don't need to be a conservative, born-again Christian to understand things are insane, like, they're telling our children things that are loony, that I just know something ain't right. Is that a fighter jet? That's in my contract that uh, right about this point in the sermon, there'd be some fighter jets overhead. And I just appreciate you fulfilling that because a lot of churches, a lot of churches don't do that. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> so um, anyway, you've been a great audience. Good night. Uh, so when you, when you look at the crazy, right, that, that they're now telling little kids, like, you, you get to pick what gender you are. I mean, first of all, you got to understand, that is satanic. It's not just wrong. It is satanic. It is child abuse. And you should pull your kids and grandkids out of those places and yeah, you should be angry, because that is despicable, that they would do that and that they would try to shut you up if you don't like it. We've never seen this in American life, folks. We've not seen it. But this is the fruit of decades, right? It's, it's, it's the, the Marxist, the cultural Marxist march through the institutions, the long march. It's taken decades, okay? When I was at Yale in the 80s, they had already gone mostly loony there, but it trickled down through the decades until now it is everywhere. And so... 
in a way, it's a blessing for the church of, of, of Jesus Christ because we are called by God to stand against this. And if everything's kind of going nice and everything's okay, we kind of act like, well, now's not a time to fight yet. Everything's kind of fine, you know. We are at a, at a, at a moment now where if you have eyes to see, and many in the church do not, but if you have eyes to see, you say, we are in a spiritual battle between good and evil. This is not between Democrats and Republicans, okay? We're talking about good and evil. We're talking about a cultural Marxist agenda that is deeply atheistic. And by being deeply atheistic, I want to be clear again, it's not kind of neutral. It is at war with God. Uh, on, on the cover of my book is Atheism Dead. There's a picture of a snake swallowing its own tail, biting its tail. And in other words, the idea is that when you really look at atheism, they kind of pretend like, well, this is, we're neutral, we're secular. We just don't believe in that crazy stuff. It's like, no, 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 you're not neutral. You are at war with God, and you're at war with the reality of God. You're at war with the world that he created. You're at war with the idea that we're male and female in his image. You're at war with the idea that sex is for marriage between a man and a woman for life. You're at war with anything that is of him, the beauty and the sanctity of the family. You're at war with those things, and we're seeing that more and more clearly now in a way we never have before. We're seeing government overreach and things that most of us here couldn't have dreamt of a few decades ago. And we're seeing all these things, and then the question is, okay, what are we doing about it? Um, the book um, to which Pastor Steve was referring, Letter to the American Church, I've never felt, in, in all the books that I have written, I've never felt called to write a book like this. I just felt a burning desire, I, 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 a calling from God. I must write these things. And I honestly, I, I've just never felt that before, and it was kind of a weird thing. And it's also, I've never written a book for the church before. I, all my books are intended for everybody. You know, I want, I want you to be able to give any of my biographies or is atheism dead or any, any of these books to, pretty much to anybody to say, hey, what do you think of this? And they would read it and they would they'd say, well, that, that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. You know, but it's not like they would say, well, that's a Christian book. It's not for me. I, I, I just think, first of all, truth is for everybody. And Jesus, who is truth, is for, he's for everybody. He's not just for a religious gang over here. He, he, truth is for everyone. And even we Christians have bought this idea that we've kind of got to carve out our little Christian truth over here. There's no such thing as Christian truth anymore. There's like a Christian tree or a Christian apple. Like, you know, truth is truth. One plus one equals two is the truth of Jesus Christ. And you don't need to label it as such, but it is. He invented the universe, which is pretty much everything. And everything that he invented, every truth is of him. There, there, there's just no like little religious carve out, like this is our Christian truth. There's just no such thing. There's no such thing as Christian history. There's reality and truth, and it all belongs to him. But somehow we have often been persuaded just to stay in our safe little religious corner and, and to kind of, you know, we just have our private little beliefs, and we go in that weird building on Sunday morning, we do our little thing, but then we come out and it doesn't really affect things out there. Well, that's not the model that God had in mind when he created his church. When the people of God were the people of God in the Old Testament, the prophets would thunder to the people of God that you need to be the people of God, not just in name only, but to live out your faith. You're supposed to take your faith, what you know to be true, into all the world because people are hungry for the truth of God. 
whether, whether you label it as the truth of God or don't. People are hungry for truth. And there's some people that hate it, but there are many, many people that they're just so hungry and they're looking for people of faith to live out their faith. And whenever we look through history, we, we applaud in retrospect, just like we say, hey, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're great, right? Well, in their day, they were not treated very well. And that's just the story, right, is, is, is that God sends his prophets and we laud them and we say how great they were. We talk about William Wilberforce. I wrote a book about Wilberforce called Amazing Grace. This is the man who, because of his faith in Jesus, understood when he was born again, okay, the slave trade is an abomination and I need to use my power in politics and culture to go to war against this satanic thing that harms human beings, right? And what did they tell him at the time? Many Christians at the time, except for the born-again Jesus freaks, you know, the Methodists, right? And other words, the really serious Christians were with him, but the, but the, but the, like, the pious church-going Church of England people and whatever, they thought, why does Mr. Wilberforce have to bring his, his, his faith into politics or his politics into faith? That's so unseemly. Yeah, it's unseemly to you, except it's biblical. It's the Lord's command that you take what you know from Scripture into all the world. And people don't like it. They'll say, oh, you're being political. Maybe you are being political. Who cares? Your job is to do God's will, and people can label it whatever they want. They just give it those labels to shut you up. And many in the church today, that's all they need to hear is they're being political. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that won't happen again. I'll never mention that. I'm, I won't applaud that you know Roe v. Wade was overturned. I don't want to like offend anybody. That would be political. Ladies and gentlemen, um, the Lord doesn't have those categories. There's just this thing called truth and reality, and it belongs to him. And he calls us to bring him, who is truth, and the truth of his reality that he's created into all the world. So, you know, in a funny way, part of what we're seeing right now in the madness going on around this country is that you don't really need to convert people to Jesus. You just need to convert people to reality because reality inevitably points to Jesus. Reality and truth point to Jesus. He is truth. He created reality. And there are a lot of people looking around now and saying, what, what is happening? What has happened in, 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 in our country? So there's a sifting going on. And as, as I think I mentioned, that those churches that are bravely dealing with it are growing like crazy. And those churches that are shrinking from saying, well, we don't want to be political, they are withering. And they deserve to wither. It's like when Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered and died. Because there comes a season when God expects you to deliver or he says, you are of no use to me. And there are many, many, many churches, and that's why I wrote the book, Letter to the American Church, that are absolutely fearful of being political or touching on any of these things. They don't understand. They haven't discerned the hour in which we find ourselves. Right? And, and this happens over and over again. And also the reason I wrote the book is because of the parallel to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and to what happened in Germany in the 30s. The parallel is dramatic. I'm not exaggerating. Maybe I'm sure some people think I'm exaggerating. I promise you, I wish I were exaggerating. The parallel could not be more dramatic that what happened to the church in Germany in the 30s as the Nazis were rising to power, the church said, you know, we don't want to be political. Romans 13, it's very clear. We're not going to be political. 
Okay, well, Romans 13 is only part of the Bible. Uh, there are other parts of the Bible that would command you to speak out against wickedness and corruption. Uh, the Lord commands you, and but they, like American churches today, like many of them, they said, well, it's, it's divisive. I'll just take the safe religious path. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose. There's some big tithers here that might lose. They might leave my church. That's, that's not faith in Jesus, folks, if, you're, if that's how you run things. Your job is to speak the truth with wisdom, with love. But if you don't do that, if you're so calculating, uh, the Lord will remove your lampstand. He will remove your candlestick. Uh, and so Bonhoeffer actually preached on this. I mean, just so you understand the parallel between what happened in Germany and what happened, what's happening here now. Bonhoeffer in 1932, before Hitler actually officially became the leader of Germany, Bonhoeffer could see these things happening. And he spoke at a church, the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm's Gedächtniskirche. Repeat after me. Kaiser Wilhelm's Gedächtniskirche. It's just the Kaiser William Memorial Church, okay? But it was like the church. Have you ever been to one of those churches? You're like, ooh, that's the church. That was the church where all the, the heavyweights would go on Sunday. They'd get all dressed up and they'd go there. He preached there on the Reformation Day, 1932. Reformation Day is the day they would celebrate Luther. The Lutherans would celebrate Luther. So it's kind of like, this is the day we're going to pat ourselves on the back for being awesome, Right? They're not really worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping themselves and how awesome they are for being good Lutherans. Right, And so their doctrine, which was twisted, was like, it's faith alone. Faith alone, it's grace alone. So we don't have to do anything. Well, that's, that's not biblical, right? I was going to call a letter to the American church, faith without works is dead. Because if you really believe, not, not that you're trying to fool people that you believe, but if you actually believe, you're going to have works. You're going to live your faith out in every sphere. You're not just going to be like, well, it's what I believe up here, but I don't want to offend anybody with it. You're going to live it out. That's God's calling on your life. And so Bonhoeffer preaches a prophetic message. This is, I refer to this in, in the book, that in 1932, when he preaches this, he is preaching it at a time right before the Nazis take power and basically saying We've been worshiping like an idol of Martin Luther. We've been, we have not been the church of Luther because Luther risked his life for his faith. And we're called to have that kind of a faith where we totally risk our lives because guess what? We have a little secret in our back pocket. We know that Jesus defeated death on the cross. So when I die, when you kill me, I don't die. Now, a lot of people say, I hope that's true. A lot of people say, oh, I hope that's true. If you hope that's true, you're a fool because you need to know it's true. There's certain things, I can hope a lot of things, but I don't hope that that's true. I need to know that that's true. If I don't know that that's true, I will not live like it's true. And so Bonhoeffer was effectively saying in that sermon in 1932, before Hitler comes to power and before Hitler decides to destroy the German church and, and, and make the German church a Nazified church. And before that, he's warning. Now, I could go on and on, and uh, I give all the details in the book, but I'll just tell you, cut to the chase. 
Bonhoeffer gave a prophetic message that day. It was not the kind of message that the respectable Christians in that church were there to hear. It's kind of insulting to them. And um, it's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Sometimes God is heavy-handed, you know? He'll do things. That gorgeous church, which was just one of these golden spots in Berlin, uh, in the 40s, after the Nazis had taken power and had gone to war and so on and so forth, that church was, was, was bombed to smithereens by the Allied planes. And you can just imagine if the people in that church that morning when Bonhoeffer was preaching had known that if we don't do what God is saying through this young preacher if we don't live out our faith, if we don't repent as he's calling us to repent, imagine if they would have known that this glorious building, I can't tell you, I mean, part of it is still there. You see these mosaics, and it just was gorgeous that this will be bombed to rubble as the heavy-handed judgment of God comes. It's, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Now, the thing is, I think it's, we're always tempted, and the Germans of that era we're tempted, as the American church has been tempted, to think that can't happen here. That happened here. We're, we're too wonderful. We're past that. Well, that's not biblical either, right? So the Germans were being called by Bonhoeffer, not just then, but after, when Hitler took power and on and on and on. He was exhorting them to stand and to be the church and to stand against the National Socialists. Now, it's very easy for us, knowing what we know of the Nazis and what happened, to go, oh, of course, I would have been right there. Well, many in the American church are not there right now. In other words, very similar things are happening now, and we're acting the way a lot of good German pastors were acting then. It's like they just didn't get it. They didn't see it. Bonhoeffer tried and tried to wake them up, and they, they just couldn't imagine that this great nation, one of the greatest nations in the history of the world, a deeply Christian nation, sophisticated culturally, that they could descend into a level of barbarism that is just unimaginable evil. They could not conceive of it. They were effectively too complacent and prideful to imagine that that could happen here, not in Germany. Are you kidding? No. Well, Bonhoeffer was trying to warn them that it will if you don't repent, if you don't stand, if the church doesn't arise against this wickedness. But the church said, not yet, not yet, not yet. And, and the key, again, is you know the enemy always wants to persuade us to keep, just keep sleeping, don't wake up, not yet, not yet. And God's prophets are always saying, now, wake up now, wake up now. So I thought the voice of Bonhoeffer, this prophetic voice, applies to us today. It's the voice of Bonhoeffer, this prophet of God, speaking to us today, are we willing to wake up now, or are we gonna do exactly what the German church did then? Now, most American churches are doing exactly what the German church did then, except we know what happened as a result of that. The judgment that fell on Germany, it's unimaginable to us. And the evil that was done as a result of the silence of the churches. Bonhoeffer calls the church the conscience of the state. So this lie that, oh, you're not supposed to be political, you're not supposed to be, stay in your lane. That's the devil speaking, folks. You, are, you have no lane. The Lord says, you take my truth 
into every part of reality, into the government, into medicine, into culture, into education, into every part of reality, because truth is truth, and when you do that, you will bless innumerable people, right? If you believe that people are made in the image of God, it will cause you to abolish the slave trade and to abolish slavery, and that's what radical Christians did. They took their faith into the world, into politics, into everything, and innumerable people are blessed as a result of that. But at the time, there were people saying, stay in your lane. Don't talk about the slavery issue. You have some pro-slavery people in your congregation. You don't want to lose their tithe. It's all about evangelism. You don't want to bring up a, you know, a marginal thing like slavery. Well, we go, oh, oh my goodness, the marginal, it's so obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious to them. And it wasn't obvious to the Germans who were ignoring what Bonhoeffer and others were saying. They kept thinking, no, this is not, it's, it's not time yet. We want to keep our powder dry. It's not, it's not time. We just want to keep doing church. And so they did. And we know that the result in Germany was an, an, an unimaginable nightmare in history. But all the excuses they gave in Germany at the time for their silence are the same excuses that pastors and Christian leaders are giving today. Some of them are just doing it by omission. They're, they're not talking about it. Um, and others are actually advocating silence. There's a, there's a nightmare of a, of a little book by Andy Stanley that came out some months ago called Not In It To Win It, where he basically argues exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. And I forced myself to read it. And I got to tell you, it's, it's painful because it's somebody using scripture to make a case against what scripture says, twisting history, not intentionally, I'm sure. But the real nightmare for me was, was when I read this book advocating silence in the face of evil, advocating we shouldn't be divisive, we shouldn't be political, we shouldn't, it's all about the gospel, it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, whatever, whatever thin gospel you can preach when you avoid all of these issues that are affecting people's lives, whatever you think the gospel is. Um, but the nightmare was when I went to the Amazon page for that book and I saw a big, wonderful blurb from Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. And I said, if you want to know where we are in the American church, check that out. That people that are, you know, in my opinion, good people could get it that wrong. That they would be advocating this kind of thing. I'm here to tell you that's not biblical. And the reason I wrote this book is to make the biblical case this is, this is the biblical case, and then we have the historical case of what happened when a church in Germany decided, we're just, gonna, we're just gonna keep doing church. We don't want to be divisive. The point is, there was a window where they could have done something. And Bonhoeffer was trying to get them to wake up and to stand and to fight, because he knew this window was closing, that every day, I use the image of it's like, uh, Gulliver being tied down by the Lilliputians, right? If Gulliver wakes up, it's over for the Lilliputians. He can rip the stakes out in, in, in a second. But if he continues to sleep just a little longer, a little longer, they tie him down more and more and more until at some point when he wakes up, he can't move. That's what Hitler and the Nazis succeeded in doing in the German church. They thought, if we could just keep them sleeping a little longer, keep them thinking, not yet. Not yet. And their excuses are you know, the same excuses that we're getting from a lot of 
Christian leaders today, they say, well, it's not a gospel-related issue. We're, we're all about faith. We're, we're all about evangelism. Uh, we, we don't want to get into that divisive stuff. And you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you're, you're twisting things. Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. If you understand the grace of God, if you understand what it is to believe, to say, I believe in the Son of God, and I believe these things, it's going to affect how you live. People, while we do nothing, or while we go to church, or what, there are people around the world risking their lives for their faith in Jesus now and all through history. Why would we think, like, well, we, we don't have to do that? We're in America, we, we get a pass. We just get to have a nice Christian life. That's an abomination to God because the Lord has given us our freedom and everything we have here for his purposes, to live out our faith, right? To use our wealth for his purposes now. To use our freedom for his purposes now. And if we can be persuaded like the German church, not yet, not yet, not yet, at some point, boom, it is over and everything you have will be taken from you. Whatever money you didn't give to God's purposes, well, the government will take that from you. Whatever freedom, whatever voice you had, whatever power you had to do something, if you don't use it, it will be taken from you. That's what happened in Germany. It's exactly what happened in Germany. Um, but they said, oh, but, but we believe, we believe. Well, the Lord looked at their lives and said, I know you don't believe. Because you have, this, you have this rationalist enlightenment view. They're like, I have this theology, and that's all that counts. I have all this theology in my head, and that's what counts. The Lord says, that's not what counts. Are you living that theology? Are you living out what you claim to believe? If you're not living it out, then I know you actually don't believe it. I, I often think of there was, a, I don't know if it was, a, it was around the 1900 or the 1890s, they would do crazy things, but I think it was Charles Blondin. He was this like a high-wire artist, and he strung a, a, a wire across Niagara Falls, and he's like walking back and forth over the falls, and people are marveling. He's pushing a wheelbarrow back over the falls. And I don't know that this happened, but I imagine, imagine somebody, if he says to the crowd, you know, do you believe that I could uh, push the wheelbarrow uh, across the falls with, you know, 150 pounds in it? Let, let's, you know, he's trying to get the crowd ginned up. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 we believe, we believe it, we believe it. And he's like, yeah, you, sir. Get in the wheelbarrow. In other words, it's easy to say what you believe, but to live what you believe, that's what the Lord requires of us. Do you believe he defeated death on the cross? Do you live fearlessly? Are you willing to speak on these issues? Or have you been persuaded that you can take a safe religious path where you kind of don't have to decide? And many of us... Uh, in the American church have been persuaded like, I just don't need to live out my faith the way they do in those countries where you could get killed for your faith or thrown in prison. I don't, I don't need to do that. And you think, why? Why wouldn't we? It seems clear to me the Lord has allowed these horrible things to happen to us to wake up those who might be awakened. And I can see all around the country, not many, but a handful of churches like this one where people are waking up and saying, we want the real thing. We, we can't play church anymore. Evil things have, have come upon us. But again, we, we live in a country where we act like, well, we're past that evil stuff. We don't have evil here. Uh, we, we don't have death. We don't have all that bad stuff. Like, we just have nice. And 
Listen, if, if we don't have satanic evil to deal with, then we, we don't need Jesus to die on the cross. If you believe in him and what he did, he died to defeat evil and death. The, the, he, didn't, he didn't die on the cross so that you could say, well, I believe in him and he's going to make my company more successful or my marriage will be better. Or th- th- those are little, little things compared to what he did. And when we claim to believe on him, it is a dramatic change uh, in, in the world, in the universe, what he did. And we believe in him and he frees us to live our faith out with abandon and fire. But as I said, the German church in the 30s, they were not persuaded in time. By the time they woke up, some of them, they thought, it's too late. Good people who were silent in the face of evil finally recognized it, and when they recognized it, it was too late. And that's what I say is happening in America. There are many still sleeping right now. By the, God, by, by the grace of God, some are waking up. But there are many still sleeping and thinking, not yet, not yet. They, they, they think that, you know, maybe they think Tip O'Neill is the head of the Democratic Party. They think, you know, hey, listen, it's all, they don't understand what we're facing. They don't understand what families are facing. Uh, the wickedness, I mean, where would we even begin to enumerate the evil that, that has happened? Our journalistic institutions are dead. We used to have journalists who would report on the truth, and they might have been a little biased or that, but basically, we trusted these journalistic institutions that if there was some scandal or some lie, whatever, they would be on it. That's dead. We used to believe basically that the government was okay, that the government, we the people, we are the government, and there's ways of redressing. I remember hearing uh, when Watergate happened and Nixon resigned, people saying, well, it shows that the system works, that when there's corruption, it can right itself, you know, that we had a faith in America and in these ideas, and all of this in, in, in the last few years, we've seen this go away. We've seen that people in power um, have used that power, have abused that power. The only thing that can stand against all of these wickednesses, and I'm barely mentioning any of them, but it's the church of Jesus Christ. God is the only hope in, 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 in the time of trouble. He is our only hope, and we need to understand that unless we lean into faith in him, um, he, he doesn't care what we say we believe. He cares about what we believe and whether we'll live it out. I think about Bonhoeffer talking about the idea of religionless Christianity. When he was in prison, after all this had, you know, everything had gone to hell, basically, right? And he's in prison, he's writing a letter to a friend. He uses the phrase religionless Christianity. He basically recognizes that if the church had been the church and had totally lived out its faith, not played at church and being religious and getting dressed up and doing this thing on Sunday morning, but if we had lived out our faith, not in a religious way, but in a bold, brave way, the way the saints of old have done, that we've praised them for and we celebrate them, and Luther did. If we had done that, none of this would have happened. And we need a religionless Christianity, he said. And the fact of the matter is, that's always been the case. We don't, some of you know in the, in the Narnia Chronicles, when I always forget the details, but when they ask, is Aslan the lion? Is he a, is he a tame lion? And the answer is no. No, he's not a tame lion. He's a lion, he's scary, he's a lion, he's wild, but he is good. That's the God that we worship. He is a wild God, and he, his goodness is, is not niceness. 
It is the antithesis of satanic evil. It is powerful, and we are called to that kind of wild faith. And so if you want a safe religious Christianity, God says, that is an abomination to me. Jesus spoke against it. You, you, all through the Old Testament, you have people speaking against it. it it's, you want to just go through the motions? You think you're fooling God? It's an offense to God. God doesn't say, well, you could do better. He's offended when we don't take him at his word. And, and, and when Jesus was asked, you know, what are the greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God. Passionately love God. Not piously, you know, perform these things and don't do these things. Or whatever. No, you're called to love God with abandon. I, I, it makes me think of, I mentioned the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Some of you know the story of uh, Edmund, right? That he's taken in by the white witch. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be your friend if you do w what I want you to do, right? That's, I, I was just talking to Tom Gilson here about, it's like an accommodationist view, right? If you'll just be respectable, if you'll just kind of play your role, do the right thing, I'll make it go well for you. That lie is as old as humanity, that the enemy of God will say, just, just do these things and, and I'll let you, you know, I'll let you preach your, your dead little gospel in your little church. You, want, you, you go to China, they have official churches in China, and they'll let you do your little weird little rituals, but when you come out, you bow to the secular authority of the state. That's an accommodationist view. And there are many Christians today that say, well, we want to be respectable. You know, I want the New York Times to publish me, and I want, to, I want to be respected, and I believe that will lead to more evangelism. You know, that idea, um, if it ever worked, it is dead. We need to acknowledge that we need to fight. And it reminds me, actually, I think the last chapter in my book, I talk about Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, uh, who was a hero uh, and a leader, a real leader, uh, some of you will remember, uh, in 1987, he visited Germany. And he went to where the Berlin Wall is, the Brandenburg Gate. And in his speech, now imagine, he had called the Soviet Union an evil empire because he understood that the Soviet Union is enforced atheism, it is enforced subjugation of its population, its people were not free, it was a satanic project that persecuted Christians like you can't even imagine. And Ronald Reagan had the guts to say, you know what, we need to go to war against this. We don't need to play patty cake with the devil, but all of the, you know, the deep state, the, the rhino people of that era, what did they say to him? Like, no, 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 we, we need to have detente. We need to have, you know, we, we, we wanna play nice with the Soviet Union. And you think, that's accommodationist. Like, you need to understand there are people behind the Iron Curtain that are hoping that somebody out there who has freedom and power would do anything they could to help bring freedom to the captives behind the Iron Curtain. And Ronald Reagan decides to put in his speech a line, Mr. Gorbachev, if you care about this and this and this and this and this, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Everybody in the State Department, all of the, you know, again, today we would call them rhinos or whatever. These were accommodationist centrists. They were moderate. Don't be crazy. Don't be a cowboy, Ronald Reagan. You know, 
You've only been president for seven years. We've been part of this bureaucracy for 40 years. Let me tell you how it's done. We make nice nice with the devil. We don't go up against him. And Reagan said, I'm gonna put this in here. And it was taken out over and over and over. Colin Powell, Howard Baker, all these nice guys, you know, these, these old hands said, you can't say that. And he said it. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And I tell you, when he said it, it was a prophetic utterance. The demons trembled when he said that. And it gave hope to people in the iron, behind the Iron Curtain, in the gulag, that there's somebody out there who believes that what we're suffering is evil and who's willing to fight and to, 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 to give up something for our sake. That's the agape love of God, whether you call it that or not. We who have freedom and anything, we're, we're called to use it for God's purposes in our generation. And so the question is, are we doing that now? Or are we just kind of saying, well, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to take on the Soviet Union. I don't want to take on Hitler. Let's just, let's just see if maybe they'll treat us nice if we keep our mouths shut. That's the temptation. It was the temptation of Edmund, uh, as I said, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? It's always the temptation. It's just, just play nice, nice with the evil people, and they'll, you know, they'll give you a nice position uh, in their government, uh, if you play ball, if you go along with it. It's amazing to me because you go back to the Psalms. I mean, I didn't plan this, but Psalm 12 that we read a few moments ago, this is written 3,000 years ago, right? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will arise. The Lord is saying, this is what is on my heart. When I see corruption, when I see lives destroyed, when I see young women uh, being tempted to cut off their breasts and destroy their futures, when I see any one of these things you want to mention, I expect my people to arise and to speak against it for my purposes because my people claim to believe I defeated death on the cross and they will not fear speaking the truth. And I need my people to be my people. When, when we read in, in uh, following in Psalm 12, on every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Have we evolved past that? No. The evilness of evil is something that we've missed. We kind of act like, well, that, that, that doesn't happen here. Just as the Germans in Germany in the early 30s kind of thought, well, how bad could it really get? Well, they found out how bad it could get infinitely worse than they ever dreamt. But they didn't believe it at the time, and they did nothing. And that's the question to the American church today. How bad could it get? Well, you're getting a taste of how bad it could get, depending on what you follow on the internet. But the vileness and the wickedness and the lies, whether you're talking about critical race theory, whether you're talking about critical theory in general, whether you're talking about the cultural Marxism, all of these ideas are atheistic, which is to say diabolical, evil, and anti-human, because if you hate God, you hate those made in his image. And we can go on and on and on and on, and the question is, will the church today do in America what the church refused to do in Germany? The example couldn't be clearer. I just want to tell you, the exact excuses that they gave for their silence and inaction are exactly the excuses being given 
in pulpits across the country, whether vocally or passively, just saying, well, we don't, we don't do that here. We don't want to be divisive here. Well, the question is, what does God call you to do? And God doesn't really call you to be divisive, but he calls you to speak the truth. In fact, he depends on his church to speak the truth. Think about the power he has given his church. You are made in his image. You are filled with his Holy Spirit. You are to know that he defeated death on the cross. You are to have no fear but joy and faith that you get to walk out what God's will is in your generation. And when you die, that opportunity vanishes, folks. You get a short season here. When this life is over, you don't get to be heroic amidst the veil of tears, amidst the evil. This is the moment that we have, and, and we should be honored at the privilege that we, we could stand for God and his purposes in this generation. It, it, it is the greatest privilege. So, you know, on the one hand, you think, well, it's a guilt trip. I better, I better. Yeah, that's, that's one side of it. But the flip side is like, do, do you understand? God has allowed us to be part of his will in history, affecting eternity. And if we miss it, we who are part of the greatest country in the history of the world, we don't deserve to live here, folks. We don't deserve to live here. But the Lord allowed us to live here and these things have come upon us, and he expects us to be bold, to be strong, and to go on the offense. That's what Reagan did when he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Do you understand that? That bold declaration, okay? It's almost like there's a tottering wall, and it's rotten. And people say, don't go near that wall. It might be an electric fence. I, just don't go near it. And you think, uh, who told you that? Who, who, told, who told you that? Because uh, the intelligence I'm getting is that that's a tottering, rotten wall. And if all of us will go and give one shove, we will, we'll, it'll come right down. That's what Reagan did with the Soviets. The Soviets, going along with the satanic lie, all they could do is lie and pretend that we're this monolith, we're never going anywhere, this is the permanent state of things, don't dare go to war with us. That's a lie. Some of you know the, the term the Potemkin village, right? That they, it's like they're putting up these facades because that's the, all the enemy can do. Because if you see the truth, he knows he's dead. So he tries to fool you into just silence, into fear, back away. You don't want trouble. You, want, you don't want any trouble, do you? You don't want to get canceled. You don't want to lose your job. Well, the Lord's here to say, excuse me, I'm the author of your finances and your job and your health and when you live and you die. And if you actually believe that, which you claim to, I expect you to live it out. I, and, if, and if you want to see me move, test me. Live these things out and see whether I deliver you or don't deliver you. And you know that even if I don't deliver you the way you want to be delivered, by being obedient to me, you will be delivered. So even when you lose, you win. The Lord calls us to these things for his purposes in this generation. We are living in an hour, ladies and gentlemen, you know this. None of us thought we would get here. None of us thought we would see these things in America. But I really do believe, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. The Lord has called us to this moment to wake up those who might be awakened. And around this country, there are people waking up and they're looking for, they're saying, does anybody else see what I see? 
Is anybody else being a voice? Is anybody else? And, and there's reasons churches like this have big parking problems. There's reasons that other churches are struggling to stay open. God has called his church to arise and to be his church. And I just want to say to you, if you're going to a church that is not doing this, you know, you could give the pastor a copy of my book. You could give him a chance. Because I tell you, I think there are a lot of good people that they just haven't thought this through. But I want to tell you, if they do not wake up and become part of this battle, if they don't go with you to that tottering, rotten wall to shove it down, they are unwittingly working for the dark side. They might be nice people, but silence in the face of evil is itself evil. If you do nothing and you say, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay safe here, right? I'm not going to get into that stuff, you are helping the enemy to win. And, and it, it always has different reasons, right? Some people, it's just pure fear. For some people, for some Christians, this is the worst. Christians and conservatives are like, well, you know what? It's all over anyway. It's all going to hell anyway. We're being judged. We deserve to be judged. So I'm going to sit on my rear end and do nothing. That's the voice of the devil, folks. God has called us to fight for his purposes and to, to bear the slings and arrows of criticism and whatever it is you do what he called you to do. And even if we lose the battle, we win because we're being obedient to God. But I'm here to tell you, I believe if God's church will, will arise and do what he calls us, if a remnant, a holy remnant will do it, we will see revival. We will see the nation saved from what looks like calculated ruin because it's, not, it's disguised as incompetence and buffoonery, but at the heart of it, nobody could be that incompetent. This is like they pulled together a think tank. How can we destroy America? But Bonhoeffer said the church is the conscience of the state. The church in Germany could have saved Germany from the satanic evil of what happened, and he knew that, and that's why he spoke it, and they didn't, and we know what happened. But the church in America you realize that Abraham Lincoln, who understood these things better than almost anybody, he called us God's almost chosen people. He basically said that we, we are a special people. We don't deserve it, but God has given us, he's appointed us a role in history, and that if we do not live this out, the whole world suffers. And if the church does not live out its faith in America, there is, there can be no America. That's a separate speech or sermon, which I won't give now, but, but it is the church that has been the strength of this nation on every level from our beginning. And if the church is not the church, America goes down. And if America goes down, the whole world goes down, and the Lord will hold the American church responsible. So that's God's charge to us, how much he loves us. He calls us to participate with him in this glorious, glorious thing. And each of us has a totally different role. He calls each of us to a different role. But it's a beautiful moment in history. And I want to say to you, don't miss it. This is the moment for which we were born. He created each of us for this moment. Be heroic, stand strong. And the Lord your God will be with you. 
God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.